moment political junkies has been waiting for has begun. The presidential primary is just getting stuck. Uh, no, nope, it's already over. I'll tell you about that and a lot more on this week's Corey True Act Show. I also want to share with you a clip from a sermon, uh, from a, a recent sermon down in Texas that shows how a sermon can be political without being partisan, how it can engage in what's going on in the culture without sounding like it should, should just be on Fox News already. It's really well done. I got a tweet I want to analyze for us that's of political nature coming from a Christian, and if we have time... There's two major retirements in professional football that I want to talk about. Not about football at all. It's not about football. There's there's just some things we might be able to learn from those uh, very, uh, re- really legendary careers and apply that over to regular life. We'll do that and maybe a little bit more on the Corey Truex Show this week. Thank you for being with me wherever it is you find podcasts. Amongst lots of other things, I get to serve the awesome people of Beachwood Church at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville. If you are without a church home, we'd love to have you over at Beachwood Church. Come take a look and a listen. We are on Spotify now as we go through the, uh, what's that called? The Book of Joshua. For some reason, I almost called it the Gospel of Joshua, and that is not accurate. So you can find some sermons over there as well. Let's jump into it. The big story of the week is what I used to be obsessed with and was expert in, and that is elections. There was one over in Iowa. Since I have been into politics... Uh, that's all, yeah, that's a good way to do it. Since I've been into politics, the winners of the Iowa caucuses have always been the most evangelical. So in 04, when I was very much into politics, there wasn't an Iowa caucus because George W. Bush was running for re-election. And then off the top of my head here in 08, it was Mike Huckabee. In 2012, it was so Mike Huckabee was the old Baptist preacher. In 2012, it was Rick Santorum, a very, very Catholic Rick Santorum. In 2016, it was Ted Cruz. I don't really know what he is, but he was he was the most Christianized, and so he got those votes. Then eight years after Ted Cruz, it is an absolute blowout for the former president of the United States, President Donald Trump. And the primary, it's also this, Iowa used to be the fun place where you would see who will be the insurgent against the front runner. For example, in 04, nope, sorry, in 08, when Mike Huckabee won it, the assumption was that Rudy Giuliani, John McCain, one of those old heads was going to take it, ended up being John McCain. But you saw that Huckabee was going to have a moment to, to rebel against the more, quote, establishment-type candidate. In 2012, Rick Santorum rose up against Mitt Romney, who eventually did one, win the thing, but there was he was able to establish himself as the alternative. Ted Cruz established himself as the alternative to Donald Trump, into 2016, and that lasted all the way into May when the Indiana primary took place and finished it off in 2016. So that used to be the thing. It, it truly was the beginning of a five-month process, and it was for, if you're into politics as drama, it was the beginning of an interesting drama. Just like um, for similar how uh, September is for me when fo- football's coming. Football season kicks off, last well, college football, at the end of August. And for me, it's thinking 22 weeks. I have about 22 weeks of a fun drama I get to enjoy. And then you take the rest of the year off, you restart it. And this one happens to be an every four-year drama, sometimes eight years. Anyway, that's what Iowa used to be. But here's the two takeaways from Monday night's event. Number one, the primary is over. The caucuses are over. That was not the beginning. That was the end 
there is no question now whatsoever that, and there really never was, uh, that Donald Trump will be the nominee for the Republican Party in 2024. Uh, my test case was whether or not he would get to 50%. He very easily cleared it. It's 51%, but almost 52%. There is no uh, tried and true uh, alternative to him. He's going to win it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Nikki Haley won New Hampshire next week, but then after that, he'll dominate here in South Carolina. He'll dominate Nevada. Super Tuesday will come, and he'll dominate across the 20, oh, 18 states, the 18 states that go on Super Tuesday. It's over. So let's settle this. The nominee for the Republican Party in 2024 is Donald Trump. He'll be the nominee of the party for the third cycle in a row. Only two other people have ever done that. I know FDR did it, Franklin Roosevelt in the 40s, and then I know there's one more. It's Nixon. That's it, Nixon, because Nixon ran and lost to JFK, and then he won, and then he won re-election. So only FDR, Richard Nixon, and Donald Trump will be the men who have ever, or people who have ever been the nominee for a major party three times. So takeaway one, the primary is over. Second, the race for second place should continue and could be of some importance. The race for second place between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley is is worth having. Uh, I I don't understand the rancor and hatred of either one of them that there seems to be for, from people. But uh, that's an important thing to have, important conversations to have, in part because you just never know. I mean, Donald Trump's very old. You don't know what happens with the convictions. There could be a, a polling implosion where it just becomes clear he's, he's not that viable. Uh, so you... It's important to have a true runner-up. So DeSantis and Haley should compete, spend their money, spend their time, and go after it to compete to see who's a true number two going into the convention in July and then see what happens. If there's a, if there's some reason that Trump should not be the nominee of that party, then they, they should compete hard the next several months to see who the true number two is. I said only two takeaways, but I just thought of a, thought of a third. This also almost definitely solidifies that the president, President Biden, will be the nominee for his party. Because I believe their logic is there's exactly one candidate Joe Biden can beat. It's only Trump. Only Trump is hated enough to generate enough anti-Trump votes to go out and uh, to, to win that race. I think he knows, I think the Biden people know they'd, lo- they'd lose to Haley, they'd lose to DeSantis. I think they know they'd lose to me, they'd lose to a lot of people. Uh, so this is the one candidate they think they can beat, and so that probably solidifies this, this weird thing we're in where the baby boomer generation – I'm sorry, they, these guys actually aren't even baby boomers. They're called the silent generation. This is the generation older than the baby boomers. So your Gen Z nephews and nieces and kids that say things like, okay, boomer, they're thinking the boomers are old, the people in their 60s. Th- these dudes – or in their late 70s, early 80s, they're called the silent generation. And we're going to have uh, an election between two men <laughs> that if one of them is elected, at the end of their term, one of them would be 86 and the other one would be 83. That's where we that's where we are. It's all making me mad because y'all broke, they're going to break Ronaldus Maximus's, that's Ronald Reagan, break his record for being the oldest president. And they blew him away. I mean, he wouldn't. He didn't. He didn't even make it to eighty. I think he was seventy-nine when he left office. All right. So the pre- the primary is over. The race for second place is still important and should be competed for. Three that locks in. I think the race between these 
octogenarians or soon to be octogenarian. And then uh, and I'm fourth takeaway, just always a reminder, the country isn't ending. And anyone who gives you that, uh, I, I'd say turn them off. Anyone that says that this will be the last election or tries to get you to panic, just turn them off. They're not worth listening to. I saw on the right, there was people, it, it, admittedly, it was funny. I laughed at it. Uh, Rachel Maddow of MSNBC was very dire and stern in her taking in of the news that President that, that Trump had won the primary and t- talking about how like, it isn't just Trump. Now there's a desire for totalitarianism. There's a desire for dictatorship. And she was being dramatic, and I laughed. I thought it was very funny. Because I, it, the country's not over. So if he happens to win, you're not, you're not sharing a dictatorship. That's crazy. Your institutions and your checks and balances are strong enough to withstand the efforts of the host of The Apprentice. You're going to be just fine. And uh, then I could give you another name, but I don't want to offend anybody. Then I could give you another name of somebody who is saying things you know, similar, actually. Similar to Rachel Maddow. Uh, but just, man, if we don't get Biden out, we're going to descend into tyranny. We will have lost this dear country. I say all of them, they're hysterical children and toss out people who are hysterical children. All right, so that's your, that is your Iowa uh, analysis. All right, fifth takeaway. That has been the most... That state has been the best for giving this word we use, evangelical Christians, a boost in the political process because that state was disproportionately evangelical. If you look at census data from 2010 to 2020, you will find there was about a 35% drop in church attendance. In 10 years, about uh, yeah, one, about one-third drop in people going to church regularly. Now, here's what's crazy. In that same census, identification barely changed when it came to religion. People who are calling themselves evangelical and going to church in 2010, by 2020, one-third of them weren't going to church anymore, but they still would say, I'm evangelical, which tells us the, the wait, what's that word? Per- perilousness, that's it. The perilousness of terms. Because you know, I hear evangelical, and I hear someone who says, the Bible is the word of God. It is inerrant. It's all we need for life and godliness. We believe in uh, in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to earth. God uh, put on flesh, dwelt among us, lived a life we could not live, died the death we deserve to die, physically died on the cross, was physically raised, actually defeated death in resurrection, ascended into heaven. He sits on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, his children. And all of those truths animate my entire life, that the decisions I make in marriage and how I spend my money and who, I'm, who I vote for, how, uh, how I vacation, how, how I would raise kids or give counsel to others of raising kids. Those are the animating features and factors of my life, which includes the church. The church is an animating feature or factor to following Jesus. You don't get Jesus without his bride. And so you have this perilousness of someone saying, I'm evangelical. Okay, what do you, you get, you're involved in a church? No. Do you believe all these things the Bible teaches? I don't know, like seven out of ten. All right, well, you're not evangelical. but So you have this problem where there's a, a subset of people that are not believers, but they're culturally so. I've given the, I've given the illustration many times. 
I, I can't remember what country it is in the four uh, Scandinavian countries, Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, and the other one. One of them, if you're born in their country, they say you're born a Christian. Like there's, I think there's something even on like a birth certificate. Like to be born Swedish or whatever, whatever country it is, you're born a Christian. That's the uh, cultural thing. It's like being Catholic in Ireland. You're, it doesn't really mean much of anything. It's just a cultural identifier. Uh, so anyway, that's it. That's the Iowa uh, situation. It's over. We know the nominees, and don't freak out about it. Don't don't stress about it. Don't let anybody tell you to stress about it. The Lord's going to do what He's going to do. He is faithful. He will rise up leaders for blessing, for cursing, or a little bit of both, and He's going to continue doing that over and over. Now, on the same topic, I want to read to you a tweet with an analogy in it. I got to tell you, I can't stand argument by analogy. It's one of my least favorite things. A lot of times when people say, well, let me say it to you like this, and they start telling me a story, I often want to say, oh, 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 oh. no, I don't, I don't want your analogy. I want you to talk to me like an adult. I don't, I don't need an analogy. I'm like, I'm at least average intellect, maybe a smidge above average. We can just talk about the topic. We don't even need analogies. But uh, we have one from a guy, I won't give you his name because I don't want to point you towards his direction. I think he's, da- I think he's damaging. He calls himself a Christian. He's quite provocative, and he's out on the Twitters. This is about Donald, Donald Trump, by the way. Uh, so that's what I want to read to you this tweet, and then I want to respond to it as we go. As we're now ramping up into election season, there's going to be lots of unhelpful commentary. As I come across it, I want to try to address it. I, w- I never want to bind your conscience. All of you are going to make, as you did in 2016 and 2020, you're going to make your own conscience, I hope, conscience-informed decision about how you vote. I'll do the same thing. And when it, I'm specifically talking about your relationship to Donald Trump. You're going to vote for him or you're going to vote third party. Oh, that was another takeaway. The fact that it's locked in now, that it is Trump and Biden, makes it more likely than ever that a third party will jump in because these are uh, super majorities. Over 50% of the country, close to 66% of the country, says in polling they do not want this race. They don't want these two people. So there could be a, th- a third party. All right, let's read the tweet. It starts with this. Donald J. Trump is Godzilla. You don't make Godzilla an elder in your church. You might not even allow him as a member. Okay, right? I guess, yeah, Trump would be an, would not be an elder. He's unqualified. He's an unbeliever, so of course he wouldn't be a member. Back to the tweet. Understandably, you may even attempt to attack Godzilla when you see him destroying your cities and racking up casualties by... Thousands. So I guess in this analogy, uh, as Trump does destructive things, you might say that he's doing destructive things. You might attack him for uh, doing those destructive things. Next paragraph of the tweet. But when the ground opens up and the hordes of hell pour out from the underworld, you realize that Godzilla was never the problem. Not even close. He is merely the reaction to the problem. Okay, analogy. Uh, demons are attacking your country. People with demonic and bad ideas. So Godzilla, in all of his destructiveness, that was never a problem. No, uh, him coming along was just to fight the hordes of hell. Right, that's a little bit of a, a odd read on this particular 
uh, character who is a problem unto himself. We need to be able to say that. Whatever you do with it in November, whatever you do with that here in South Carolina, if you live here in the primary in a few weeks, or well, I guess I shouldn't say that. It's like 30-something days away. Whatever you do with that, whatever. Uh, it, it, let's not say he was He was a response to the problem. No, he's part of the problem. We're going to call sin, sin. We're going to call an unstable man in all his ways unstable. Now, back to the tweet. Godzilla is inevitable. Now, here, more of the tweet. Godzilla is not one of you. He's certainly not your friend. He was forged in the same fires of the underworld as all of your other adversaries. Well, that's a good admission. The forces of hell that drive the things that hurt the country in which you live, that drive parentlessness or bad parenting, that drive fathering children and then not taking care of them, that drive our confused sexual ethics and demonic sexual ethics, our drive towards madness, things like transgenderism, our being desensitized to violence, humans hurting humans, and it not really affecting us like it should. Yeah, the, the darkness that animates that also animates Godzilla. The hordes of hell, these are the, in his analogy, the woke crazy things, and Godzilla, who destroys woke crazy things, in this analogy at least, they're made of the same stuff. They come from the same places. Okay? Next part of the tweet. And yet, Godzilla is the most formidable enemy to your enemies. And so, in a strange turn of events, you find yourself beginning to cheer for Godzilla as he decimates the spawn of Satan. <sighs> Whatever. And so, many begin to watch Godzilla with awe rather than disdain. This is not a sign of hypocrisy. It's a sign of desperation. Well, first... Let's say it's not hypocrisy. Let's say it is desperation. That's not something the Christian is called to. The Christian is not called to desperation and therefore giving up all their ethics. He finishes, Now many may argue, I don't want the monsters or Godzilla. Their tweet says, I get it. I prefer Superman to Godzilla any day of the week. But we don't have Superman. In the meantime, Godzilla is all we have. Wow. Godzilla. Donald Trump. It's all we have. And then he finishes with, I'll be rooting for Godzilla. This is, again, a, quote, Christian, end quote, leader. I, uh, he, he didn't respond, but I responded to this tweet saying, I don't have it in front of me, but something close to, this, this is Godzilla? Th- this is your, this is your weapon against the hordes of hell? It's not even good at it. What, tell me your victory. You got one. Well, you can call it three, you can call it one. Three Supreme Court justices that overturned Roe, and then all that does is begin a process uh, that sends it back to the states, and it's another 50 years if the Lord will allow. Maybe it's, maybe it's before if the Lord will allow. That's your, that's your win. <laughs> you know what happened? Under Godzilla, transgenderism only took off more. Our sexual deviancy only got deeper. Can I tell you about 2020 when your Godzilla gave over the country to quote experts, end quote. They just did they did whatever they wanted. Can I tell you about your Godzilla who spent $6 trillion in response to COVID that's causing a lot of your grocery prices right now? Yeah, you can blame both. You can blame both of the last presidents and both of the last, or the last three Congresses that spent this insane amount of money, but you're paying what you're paying for butter and popcorn 
because of all the money they spent. Tell me more about your Godzilla. Break it down to hordes of hell. That's part <laughs> why this uh, this election cycle. Like, just don't let people do that stuff to you. They're trying to sell one godless monster as the savior against the other godless monsters. Yeah, I will say it. I don't mind saying it. They're all godless monsters. One of them's pointed maybe a better trajectory, but he's also ineffective. He's not that even good of a Godzilla. He was a very ineffective Godzilla. You go down, go down to the border, see if you find a wall on it. Okay, not a. If this is your Godzilla that you're cheering on. I tell you, you, you put your hope in princes, and you will be disappointed. What a dumb tweet that was. And then the other, the other direction, like the, both hurting. Uh, I said this to somebody recently. Something I don't understand about Trump is the, um, is the are the two words in contradiction: superhero versus supervillain. I don't see the the super on the superhero part. I don't understand either word. He's not super in that he does incredible things. He's also not a hero. I put him in the villain category. Bad people are in the villain category. Unregenerate people go in that category. But I also don't understand the people that make him a super villain because he's not guys. He's not even that effective. He's not that impressive. He doesn't have superpowers. He can't. Like he's not gonna not gonna ruin the most enduring system of governance of the last half millennia. Like he's not a super villain or a superhero. He's just a guy. He's not that special. So stop imbuing him with either power or villain villainous villain villainy. Yeah, villainy with power her, heroism or villainy that he does not deserve. It's just kind of cringy and weird. All right, that's all I want to do on uh, election twenty twenty two. You might. Tell, uh, I get a little animated on this because this is used to be a world that animates me, and I just find it a little tedious. I, I've been wrestling over the last couple years with how to do this well, and when I say this, I mean politics in gov- uh, politics and government from a Christian perspective, and how to have good law and good justice practiced in our modern day. I've been trying to think about trying to think about that, and sometimes, of course, it gets weird. It is weird to think about how to apply whether or not the my dwelling where I where I live and having a law about putting a railing around my roof and if I don't do that and someone falls off that I might be liable for that it's hard to think how would that apply to the modern day well you might not have fallen well fallen off of anybody's roof because they failed to put a parapet on it but the modern day analog might have happened to you. And that might be some negligence that caused you to get hurt at work. It might have been someone else's decision that caused a car accident. And now you are finding yourself hurt and in need. I know these things have serious consequences. You often miss work, bills pile up, you're losing out on those wages because you're missing work. And while you're stressed out about all that, you're trying to navigate this labyrinth of a process of trying to get justice. And I don't want you to be intimidated by that if that's happened to you in the modern day. Don't be scared. There are people out there who can help you. The one I want to point you towards right now is a personal friend of mine. His name is Samuel Harms. You can Google him. That's what I usually do to find him. It's Samuel Harms, H-A-R-M-S, as in stay out of harm's way. His number is 864-666-6666. Samuel Harms, attorney at law. For real, don't do these things alone. Get someone who can help and to see what happens next in this process. uh, process. So reach out to him, Samuel Harms, here in Greenville. He's at 33 Market Point Drive, Greenville, South Carolina, 29607. The number is 666-6666. So if you have 
been hurt by someone's negligence in a car accident or work, give Samuel Harms a call. Don't try to navigate it alone. It's Samuel Harms, attorney law at 666-6666. Let me get you to the sermon. It's from Matt Chandler. Uh, I think a gifted communicator for some reason. He's got more and more detractors here recently, people that are pretty low on him that I'm finding. I don't, don't quite get it. Uh, but I thought he did a good job recently of modeling what it's like to address the culture, address things that sound political, but not sounding like a partisan. Too often, it just sounds like that preacher who's going to talk about things going on in the culture should just be on Fox. You just sound like Sean Hannity. Chandler does a good job here of sounding more like a prophetic voice, keeping it biblical, not partisan. This is about six minutes, guys. This is long, but I'm going to start and stop it along the way so you can see how he does it. I think he does a great job. These are these are things to model. I know I have church leaders that listen. I think this is a, a good lesson on how to talk about things going on in the culture without just sounding political or partisan like we're on a particular side. Let's uh, go through it. This is Matt Chandler from the Village Church down in Dallas. You're going to keep latching on to false gospels. And, and so this is inside the church. All of this can happen inside the church. And then outside the church, there, there are belief systems and ideologies that are demonic in their origin. And, and the way the church has historically thought about the great enemies of human beings is like this. The world, the flesh, and Satan. That, that, that's the kind of tri- the three-headed enemy of the soul of man. And when the Bible talks about the world, it, it's talking about a time and place in which we live. And that changes based on context, d- based on where we are, where we are in human history. But in each, each kind of movement in human history, there are these ideas, there are these ideologies. And the hard part about the world is it's the air we breathe more than it's anything else. It's like trying to convince a fish it's in water. Like swimming in water. What's water? It's this. What's this? It's where you are. What do you mean it's where I am? You're in water. What's water? It's that kind of argument. So the world is this incessant pull that all of us are pulling on without even knowing we're pulling on it. So yeah, the world, the flesh, and the devil are enemies. That world is just assumptions we make in ideology. Some of the ones I grew up in. If, if, uh, If it's not affirming, if you don't if it's not making you feel good, you should probably not do it. You are, you got to be true to yourself. You got to follow your heart. These are assumptions that were not challenged until a couple decades into my life. I just grew up with it. Follow your heart. Trust yourself. That's just the world and what I'm taught. Now, different Christians get taught different things in different cultures at different times in different places. But those are unbiblical things that have to be responded to. It's in our movies. It's the subplot to our shows. It's in our music. It's on that scroll at night. It's like we just incessantly, and they're demonic in origin. And I would say the three most prevalent of our day have cost hundreds of millions of people their lives over the last two centuries. Let me give you the three biggest one. Probably gonna get in a little trouble here, but it was on my list for 2024, so let's just get it. (laughs) First of all, let me read this passage to you. This is 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's idea. That, that's our, the idea we're talking about. Strongholds, right? What are strongholds? We destroy, here's strongholds, arguments 
and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So a stronghold is an ideology. It is a belief system. It's an idea that's everywhere in a given moment, in a given context, that the church must be aware of because it will pull her away from Christ as the center. And so let me give you my big three. There is an idea, a pervasive idea right now that you are a single aspect of your personhood. You are your ethnicity, you are your sex, you are your sexual orientation. Now, sound like anybody you know? I've been railing against this for five years. That's what critical theory is all about. Critical race theory, critical gender theory. That I'm not Corey. I am my categories. I'm white. I'm male. I, my brain works, and so I know that I'm male, and I don't think I'm female. Identity politics is what he's critiquing here and doing it from a biblical perspective. It's an ideology. It's a lofty idea that we set up that, that is set up against truth, and therefore we destroy it. This idea degrades a person made in the image of God into a single aspect of their personhood. And it almost is always set up and against somebody else's, but opposite single aspect of their personhood. This is most often in our day called identity politics. It's that you are a woman, that you are your ethnicity, that you are your sexual orientation, that you are, but the gospel refuses to bend the knee to that nonsense. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you are more than just the single aspect of your personhood. In fact, the, the gospel would say to you and to me that we are more alike as image bearers, this is next week and the week after that, than we will ever be anything else. We are more alike than we will ever be different, regardless of your ethnicity, socioeconomics, background, present struggles. You and I are in deep need of a savior. You and I have both fallen short of the glory of God and are in deep need for the life that only Christ can bring. And that's at, at the basis level, you and I hold that in common. We might've grew up different. We might have different cultures. All of that should be celebrated. But what we hold most in common, you and I, is that we were made in the image of God and are in deep need of salvation. You are like me. I am like you more than I am not like you. And this idea would create a rift between you and I, would have me join some sort of demonic wickedness in our day that's ripping things to shreds and healing nothing. The entire movement of 2020 that, was, that, got, that got called Black Lives Matter would you call it restorative, that it worked, or did it cause more destruction and division? It caused more destruction and division. Why? Because it's not set up properly. It's based on this. It's based on this thing where one aspect of you is the most important thing about you, and it's set up in contradiction to something about me that's different about you. And the, You see what he's doing here? That's a, the Gestalt of it is political, but it's not political. That's a worldly doctrine that says some aspect of you is the most important thing about you, and the gospel comes along and says, no, it's not. You're made in the image of God. You're all made in the image of God. There are differences that we do need to deal with and talk about. They have, they have importance. But any ideology that says the differences between us are the most important things, it's wrong. This idea, look, and, and here's, here's what's fun for me. I, I know some of you might get upset with what I'm saying, but here's what, I don't even have the, not just the Bible, which is the supreme authority, but I got a lot of history and sociological data that says all this is true. 
Like this idea, look at me, leads to murder. It leads to murder over and over and over, murder and violence. Or this has never brought about the justice it claims it will bring. Hadn't brought it for women, hadn't brought it for ethnic minorities, it, hadn't, it just creates anger and resentment and rage. I'm not saying there's not work to be done on this front, that's two weeks from now. I'm saying this idea that you're the single aspect of your personhood taken from the complexity of what it means to be made in the image of God is demonic. And what is behind, what the powers and principalities want behind that is death and destruction. He just called critical race theory demonic without naming critical race theory. All the things that make it up, he, he has now named, just didn't say the name of it, and called it demonic. And if the church doesn't stand rightly against it, then we will participate in this nonsense. There's also an idea that proposes a society in which everyone shares the benefits of labor equally and they eliminate the class system through the redistribution of income. This is, this is the ideas of communism. So he just went after, go after, he biblically corrected identity politics and now moving on to communism, socialism, and various forms of collectivism inside economics. Or socialism or Marxism. And I know you might think I'm getting political, but I'm actually talking about demonic principalities and powers. I'm not, the, the, those structures are what they are. I mean, we'll talk a ton about that in the fall. But these ideas, these three ideas combined, contributed to 100 million deaths in the 20th century. You got a whole generation that seems to have forgotten that. This idea, 100 million people murdered, dead, thrown in giant graves, slaughtered around this idea. What does the enemy want? Death, destruction. The enemy is, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's this ideology. And here's the one that I'll probably get in trouble with. Um, we, we also see the idea of empire. Like if we could just find the right leader to maybe make America great again. You know, if we could just, because we're the, we're the light of the world, where would the world be without us? And if we could only return to the glory years of empire, then our grandkids and great-grandkids would be safe. So the gospel bids you to believe in God's eternal kingdom, not in earthly empires. Are we meant to be good citizens? Yes. Are we to participate in the political process? Absolutely. Will there ever be a nation state that solves and is able to deliver life? No. Are there better ideas than others? Absolutely. Are there demonic ideas and righteous ideas? Absolutely. Are there things that are absolutely unequivocally evil and should be called that? Yes, 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 yes. But to put your hope in empire is to run contrary to the gospel of the kingdom. I think at this point, I've offended everyone. All right, that's enough. You see what he did there? Like, it's uh, country idolatry. The idolatry of my, I mean, the Lord gave us countries. They're, they're a good idea, and we should want good for our countries. But that our hope would land there. That our hope would be, if, if my country does not have this amount of wealth or this kind of military status, then I'm going to melt down. I need empire to be big. Or my identity is wrapped up in my race or my sexuality, or I want the state to take from those who produce and give to those who do not produce. Those are all corrected there, and I don't think he sounded partisan or Fox Newsy at any point. Just declaration of some biblical truths. I think he did a good job. It's a good uh, 
Well, it's a good it's a good model. I think if you have comments on that, and you think it should be handled differently. I'd love to hear it. It's uh, what's my email? Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, or find me Corey Truax on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Threads. You can message me there as well. I've got like four minutes that I wanted to do this. Maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. This is not debatable in my estimation. Coach at Alabama, he just retired at the age of 73, I think. Uh, Bill Belichick is around the same age. He has parted ways with the Patriots. It looks like he might take another team for a few years, but he's also coming down to the end, and they are oh, stepping away. So a couple thoughts in these two major – I mean, Bill Belichick won six Super Bowls with the Patriots. Uh, Nick Saban, I think it was six or seven national championships with Alabama. These are – the biggest personalities in coaching the last 20 years. But, uh, I just have some comments on these. One, it reminds me, one of the reasons I just love, I love football so much. It's one of the few places left where meritocracy is fully in place in America. Sports does that generally. I, I see that most in football. But it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what college doesn't matter what family. If you are good, you will prosper. If you work hard and are excellent, good things will come to you. And if you waste it, if you waste your talent, if you waste athletic ability God has given you, you don't take care of your body. You don't prepare like the Dallas Cowboys didn't prepare. They got destroyed uh, in the playoffs. If, you, if that happens to you, you'll, 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 ha- you'll suffer the consequences of your actions. It's almost like sports gives us a especially football, in my estimation, gives us a live look at sowing and reaping. You often get exactly what you put into it. And those two men were, I would argue, workaholics, and what came out of their workaholism is just all kinds of championships. It's why sports still have a lot of value in a, in a, given, uh, in a given society. Now, uh, we should love excellence, and now these two guys should be celebrated for it. I already mentioned they were workaholics, that we should also balance that because these guys did work 60-hour weeks often um, and ask if the thing we're being excellent in, if it's costing us to be excellent in more important things like our families. Uh, but the last thing I wanted to mention from their retirements, wouldn't it be great if our political leaders would look at those two men and just know when it's time to walk away. I don't even mean the two guys who should be home with their grandkids in their twilight years that are running for president. I mean, all over Congress, we got 70 80 year olds across governorships. It's a, a good, this was, these two are a good model of what it is to live a full, full life, be excellent at what you did, and then just know it's time to go. Like Bill Belichick, no, sorry, uh, Nick Saban. He lost in the semifinal for this year's college football playoffs. He'd have a very good chance to come back and win just one more championship before he goes. A very good chance. But why? I got nothing to prove. I'm just going to go love my kids. Be with them in what, however many years I have left. I mean, these guys are in their 70s. Those years in my 70s, I hope that's what I'm doing. I hope I'm still serving the Lord. But I hope I am, in part, enjoying the twilight years with those who are now my nephews and whatever kids they have and investing in them. Uh, so anyway, t- two, two guys to go off the scene, they are worth uh, they're worth exploring. And I'm hoping Bill Belichick does spend his last two or three years coaching the Dallas Cowboys. 
Thank you for listening to the Corey Truax Show. I am grateful you give me time every week. I will be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week, if the Lord allows. Until then, everybody, peace and love.